This is The Guardian. Hello and welcome to The Guardian Football Weekly. So Manchester City finally win the Champions League. A joyous moment for those fans who watched them in League One. It wasn't pretty. They were nervous. Not the City team of the last few months. Inter's game plan was perfect. And after Rodri's excellent finish, they created the better chances. DiMarco so good all night hitting the bar. And Romelo Lukaku, oh man, what a chance in the 88th minute. But it's Pep who wins a second career treble. And now we spend hours making combined 11s of City and United in 1999. Of course, there's the asterisk covered elephant that needs addressing. And we'll ask what this means for the game itself. There's some transfer tittle-tattle and the like to round everything off. Plus your questions. And that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Barry Glendening, welcome. Hello, Max. Uh, Nikki Bandini, hello. Morning. And uh, Manchester City fan and professional journalist, Will Unwin. Hello, good Will. Good to be promoted to being professional. So, uh, yeah, good morning, Max. Yeah, well done. Uh, uh, you did You did tweet me. I mean, you don't have to. You can always text me. Can we drink during recording? It is, uh, it is 8 a.m. <laughs> on a Sunday morning, but you are welcome to do whatever you like. Um, uh, Nag says, how special is this for City fans who filled Main Road when they were in League One or whatever it was called at the time? Um, Will, how do you feel? Yeah, watched uh, the match alone last night, drinking red wine. So 35 years building up to that moment, it's, it's, it was pretty special. Um, yeah, yeah, this is it. For the fans that were there in the, sec- the second division, as it was, if we want to be, if we want to get it f- correct. Um, yeah, it's fantastic, you know, having watched Neil Heaney play football to watching that last night. You know, Hang on, Neil Neil Heaney was great for Cambridge when we almost made the, the Premier League, but, you know. <clears throat> yeah, well, he, he was shot by the time he played for us. So, Jed Brannan, uh, we could we could make this podcast last a very long time if I just list terrible plays from, from the late 90s. Uh, listen, Barry and I have made a career of, of that, to be honest, but anyway, crack on. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, Culver House never never got the chance at Main Road. But yeah, this is it. You know, going back to those days of terrible, mediocre players playing in poorly made kits, it was it was a night for all those fans. My social media of people that I've known for thirty years being there, being able to enjoy that moment was incredible, and that's you know. For those individuals, that's what's forgotten in a lot of the arguments around and arguments that we should rightly have about the ownership and whatnot. But what an incredible moment for for fans that have stuck it out, that have, you know, seen us lose 2-1 away at Port Vale. Martin Foyle, you know. Martin Foyle would have scored last night when Lukaku didn't, to be fair, but still. <laughs> he would have done, yeah. And yeah, it was just... Uh, I think it was a moment of relief in the end after such a terrible game of football over 90 minutes. Uh, yeah, really had to battle it out. And so that was a nice reminder of League, League One. But um, yeah, it was, a, it was a joyous occasion. You sort of sound exhausted. Yeah, I've got a two and a half year old. Um, okay. <laughs> so I spent most of yesterday trying to, trying to stop him from drowning in a paddling pool. That was, that was a lot more effort than watching City. Um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's been a... It was, it was an emotional slog last night I said before when I watched the Real Madrid semi-final I spent the first half an hour just laughing in the stadium at how how easy it all was and again that I'd been to Port Vale away 
saw us lose and it was seen as absolutely hammer Real Madrid at home in, in ludicrous fashion. Whereas last night, obviously, it was a completely different game and I was quite confident all week. And then BT Sport were going around the stands going, what do you, what do you think what do you is going to be the result? And the it was like 4-0. And I was like, oh God, this is going to go terribly, isn't it now? Oh God, I thought, I thought, I thought all week it was going to be 4-0, but no, 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 now we're going to lose 8-0. Um, so yeah, it was, as I say, it was tense. I, I don't think, I, you know, Mrs. Unwin will tell you, I don't think I said a word apart from <laughs> when Rodri scored. When I just sort of uh, woke, woke, woke up my daughter and neighbours. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was a tense old night. I'm exhausted. I made a lovely coat to birth beforehand, just in case things went badly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, what a night! And look, as as you say, we'll have those conversations that need to be had that virtually no one else has uh, in a little while. But it isn't just the fans, Barry, as well. Is it? It's, it's when you see like Grealish and Stones in tears. You remember that they are humans who've worked very hard and they're in this environment. But also, they're kids, right? Jack Willis is a kid and like achieving that. And it's very hard to begrudge him that because like he seems like such a nice fella. Uh, you talk about Man City being in the third tier and that's when they come up with this, which I think is a great chant. Uh, we're not really here because <laughs> you know, just the surreal circumstances in which they found themselves in that division, such a big club. And I guess when City's hungover, bleary-eyed, shades-wearing players parade the, the trophy through Manchester on Monday or whenever it is, that they, they'll they be forgiven for sort of maybe chanting it again. We're not really here because, you know, they could never have possibly have foreseen that moments before Dickoff scored that famous equaliser against Gillingham. Arguably, still, I would wager, the most important goal in City's history, <laughs> with apologies to Con Aguero and Rodri. Jack Grealish was in tears after the game. He didn't play particularly well, much like quite a few of the players. And he says that thing he always says when he's interviewed just after a game. It's what you dream of as a kid. And uh, then later he tweeted... I could never have dreamed of this as a, as a kid. You go, make your mind up, Jack. But it clearly meant so much to him. John Stones was outstanding last night. Meant a huge amount to him. He seemed to be taking it more in his stride. And it was quite amusing that he was interviewed. You know, what are your celebrations? And he was a bit pissed off because he'd been selected for a drugs test. So he might still be sitting in the bowels of the stadium <laughs> trying to force out a few drops of pee into a cup <laughs> because he did plenty of work last night and, uh, you know, had sweated quite a lot. Uh, but these players, you know, say what you like about City. It's not their fault. They're there. They are players on the best team on the planet. And they got over the line last night, just about, I think. Um, mm. Because in my opinion, in each team had three good chances to score. Inter had three better ones than City, but City put one of theirs away, and that was the only difference. Pep said afterwards it was a coin toss, and he's it was a coin toss. Yeah, and Nicky, you know, City are the best team on the planet, but they weren't the better team at the stadium yesterday, were they? Yeah, I actually thought Pep spoke really sort of, um, I don't know, level-headed is the right word, fairly on, on sort of things at the end. He said, you know, like, 
we're the best team in the world sort of tonight. Why? Because Edison saves that shot, right? Like he sort of framed it that way. He said the real thing is getting here again and again. And actually when you guys were talking about Greenish there and, and Stones, and Stones was brilliant, by the way. I think Stones had the most successful dribbles of any player on the pitch, which he would not have called um, before the, the game. But um, but I was thinking about Kevin De Bruyne as well. Like Kevin De Bruyne, who goes off injured for the second time in the Champions League final, but in the end, he still gets his winner's medal and, and, he, and he deserves it as much as anyone because it's not about just what you do in 90 minutes, is it? It's about getting to this final and and doing it often enough that eventually you get your rewards for it um, for most teams. Most teams don't get to like get there once and, and smash and grab and, and City certainly haven't. And and there's players there and I think De Bruyne is one who I feel, you know, really sort of almost like career achievements that have, you know, you, you think this is a player who's, who's earned this, even if he isn't the one on, on, in the game who, who, uh, who does it, but, but no, I think Inter were great. And, and I think that, um, uh, you know, from, from their point of view, it was such a sort of conflicting set of emotions at full time because they knew they were the underdogs. They knew they were, and they were defiant in the week and said, look, we also know that we can play football. We know we're going to go here and, and, and give a, a good account of ourselves. We believe in ourselves, but they knew they were the underdogs in a big way. They knew that no one expected them to, to, to win this game. And they were so sort of, you could see it in everyone's conversation. I was There's so much pride in how they'd played, but also so much in that moment, at least still anguish. Yeah, well, if we just, if we just had that break go differently and, you know, so many professional footballers that I've interviewed, like really a lot, when you get into like a long conversation with them, they'll come back to these ideas of destiny and fate. They'll say like, in the end, you know, certain things are meant to happen in life. And it's really like, if I was to name one recurring theme from talking to professional footballers, that's been the one that's come up the most. And I just can't help but feel like fate has something particularly cruel in its mind for Lukaku, who in the final against Sevilla in the Europa League uh, two seasons ago, scores an own goal after missing a chance to to win his team the game at two-all. Earlier that season against Shakhtar in the final group game when Inter just needed to to beat Shakhtar to go through, he blocks an Alexis Sanchez shot, a header by mistake, and he's just there and Alexis Sanchez heads the ball goalwards and it hits him. Now in this final, the Di Marco one, I mean, what's he supposed to do about the Di Marco one? The Di Marco one's a diving header behind him that hits him on the leg. And then that header... It's a free header and the goal's right there. And when you look at it, the goal looks so massive. But he's done the things that strikers are supposed to do. He's headed the ball down. He's he's put it on target. He hasn't missed it. And it's found that, you know, that one place in the goal where it's not going to go in. And yeah, I, I think there was, I think it's it's going to haunt into for a long time that actually we were as good as City for 90 minutes. We did play them on, a, on an equal footing. We didn't sort of play them in a sort of um, desperate trying to steal something away. And and we just couldn't make that one thing happen for us. And actually, Will, what was I think what was fascinating, you know, and as you're right, so many people going into this game going City could win this 4-0, City will win it 4-0. We remember that first half against Real Madrid, which was like truly exceptional. But the occasion, I think, got to them. You know, you saw that with Edison just sort of booting out of play. You saw it with, I, I'm trying to think, you mentioned, Barry mentioned John Stones. I agree with that. I thought Foden, when he came on, didn't look weighed down. Actually, his touch looked good, but I, I can't think of that many other players who were just zipping the ball around like Man City normally do. No, individually, it was a pretty mediocre performance across the board. I think Edison obviously grew into it. He's made a couple of dreadful passes in the first half, which were very out of character, which you know, it shows that big occasions get to big players, players that have been there numerous times before, obviously not in the Champions League final. But, you know, some, many of them were there two years ago. 
but it does show the psychological element of the game and what it what it does to you. These different surroundings, these different build ups, you know, different pitches, different stadiums that you're not used to, and just purely the occasion. You, the amount of players you saw that came on after the match, Grealish said, "Oh, I played terribly," and Rodri said, first half, I, you know, I was shit." It, and I think they all felt the same. As you say, I think Stones was man of the match. Actually, Rodri had a good game. As you say, Foden came on and was the by far the best creative player we had. You know, probably not a bad thing overall that De Bruyne went off. I don't think he was really getting into it before that. And as De Bruyne said afterwards that he's had problems for months with his hamstring and it just finally went. So when you've got a problem, a muscle problem like that, you're never going to be at your best. And you'll see Phil Foden play in that position a lot more next season. I think think Pep's sort of gearing up for that, so it's no bad thing that you know he was there for the biggest stage. It's a decent one to play well in. Um, yeah, the it take it took time for him to settle. They were surprised by the press and into pressed impact packs. So you know, pressing is not just a case of running at <coughs> defenders trying to make sure they can't pass the ball out. It's it's a you know, far more complicated system than that. You know, four of them pressing at once in in formation to make sure City couldn't get out. And City, quite often when things aren't going well, the physicality will get them through. But actually intermatch them across the pitch um, for 90 minutes on that front as well. So it was, yeah, it was very hard for them and made slightly harder because no one was at the best and no one was really allowed to be at their best due to Inter's performance. What did you make, Barry, of... of- Kyle Walker not starting. Well, I'd imagine he was devastated. He said after the game that because he's a senior professional in the dressing room, that he had to disguise his feelings and said he made a speech and told the players, you know, your my dream is in your hands. Don't don't mess it up. No pressure, lads. And a lot of people think Kyle Walker is a bit of a, an idiot because he has this habit of getting himself in on-field scrapes. I really like him. Possibly because he has a habit of getting in on-field scrapes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like my... my. Uh, I, I, I think genius is too much of a term, but I like them flawed. But he, I think he's a victim of John Stones' success in that uh, sort of hybrid role Pep has, has given him this season. And because Inter play with two strikers, uh, a formation that has given them problems this season, particularly when they played against Brentford. They had to bring in an extra centre-back, and that meant Kyle Walker had to drop out. So I'd imagine he was gutted. And then when when Pep brought him on, uh, it took about 10 minutes to get him on the pitch. <laughs> and at one stage, he'd taken his substitutes bib off, and then he was told to put it back on. <laughs> I'd imagine. I was thinking, oh, Pep's really riffing on him here. <laughs> this, this is cruel. But he got on the pitch anyway. He was on the pitch when the final whistle went, and uh, so he was. He was very much a part of it. Now, worth mentioning, Rodri, Nicky, as well, because you know he was he was dropped for the the game in twenty twenty one, and so I suppose it's you can be delighted for him because that's a. You know, it's a massive moment, and it was a great finish, and actually a, a rare moment of real quality that pass from Akanji in the build-up as well. Yeah, I mean, it was it was first of all just a really well taken goal. I mean, when you when you watch it back, like there's not a lot of goal to aim at on the outside of the two defenders. He's got two defenders sort of 
they're lined up in front of each other helpfully, but between him and the goal, and there's there's not a big pocket of space to aim at in that bottom right corner, and he finds it on the move, which is in a game where, as Will was saying, like people were not composed. There was there were several moments on both teams, I think you could say, where people did not sort of do the things they might have done on a regular week as effectively as they would have done it. And and Rodri was the one in that sort of crucial moment who was totally lucid and, and hit the ball right. Um, but I also think just going back to the the FA Cup final against Manchester United, I mean, I think for everyone, this has been such a long and exhausting season, right? I think everyone has played too many games. Again, Guardiola spoke about that again at the end of the match and, and the calendar and, and, and how much it is. But at the end of the FA Cup final, I remember Rodri just looked out on his feet. He looked like he was completely sort of um, exhausted, understandably. And, and to sort of come back from that and still be going here and be the guy who who gets that big moment, I think. I think it was quite fitting City won with a goal like that because that is the textbook City goal under Pep, isn't it? Some fancy Dan need passing to get the ball to the byline, then the pullback, inch perfect, and boom, back of the net. They score it so often. Do you know, just to sort of say on the, like, the tiredness thing as well, like it's such a nice through ball and Di Marco gets twisted by it and falls over. And I I was watching his recovery and thinking, could you have done more to block that shot? Because when he gets back on his feet, he's like a he's like a step slow doing it. And I do think cup finals come down to those moments. Like who is going to be like a step slower in that one crucial moment? And I I yeah, I think that um again, you know, it's 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 Roger sort of having the legs at the end of it when when others didn't. I, mean, I thought DeMarco was so good in this game. I tell you, Nicky, so I thought good most of the I, game. I thought Anana, like I've I've watched mm. him quite a lot, not all the time. But he sort of out Edison Edison in this game. I thought, like, with the ball at his feet, he was, like, like scintillatingly good, which is weird for a goalkeeper. You know, it was, it was. Uh, I agree totally. I think Anana was 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 brilliant, and and he's been quietly very very important in this uh, run. An incredible save against Porto, and just generally sort of really like a huge upgrade. Without any disrespect for Sami Hendanovic, who's been a brilliant sort of club servant had reached the point in his career where he wasn't making any sort of positive real contribution to his team anymore. And, and Nana, who came in, of course, on a free transfer and who a lot of people were quite sceptical about, frankly, didn't uh, weren't sure that he was going to be all that, has has been a really big part of this this run. And I thought sort of for me, like the the abiding image of this night might be, other than the the misses, um at the end of the game, Anana sort of He's, he's shouting, it looks like, at Lautaro and he, and he throws his gloves off and takes Lautaro's head in his hands. And at the time, it was like almost like, is he chastising him or is he sort of picking him up? And you, you, you sort of heard what he said afterwards and he said, well, um, basically t- telling him, we'll be back, you know, and and you know you can't be disappointed and, and all of this. And the painful part for Inter is they don't know if he will be back because that's a whole separate conversation, but Inter have got debts to resolve. Um, but I, I think, yeah, he, he was brilliant. Di Marco, though, is, is um, for me, he's absolutely sort of one of the undertold stories of the season in Italy because this guy is, you know, he's not a, he's not a kid. He's uh, he's 25 years old and he came up through the inter-academy system and under Antonio Conte had more or less been discarded. You know, he was just going out on loan after loan, short-term deal, short-term deal. And last season, Inzaghi brought him back into the fold. And this season, I think he's, really genuinely been exceptional all season long. I think even before this game, I was saying that he had only De Bruyne and Vinicius Jr. have more assists in the Champions League this season. It's not an accident. Like he's he's a really, really top wing back who I think has not still had the credit he deserves. 
Sheikh Mansour attended the game, only his second since buying Man City in 2008. Uh, Nick says, um, what's the most expensive thing you own that you haven't seen for more than 10 years? Uh, Richard Jolly saying, uh, uh, Scott Carson goes level with Paolo Maldini and Alessandro Costa-Curta for the longest gap between first and last Champions League wins as a player. 18 years. Um, uh, uh, 89 and 07 for Maldini. 2005 and 2023 uh, for um, Scott Carson. Uh, Daniel says, who on the panel wouldn't want to be Scott Carson? I saw him in Weatherspoons in November. Now he's won a treble, living the absolute dream. Yes, Will. 18 years apart, he watched the Champions League final for exactly the same bench. And at the end of it, got a winner's medal. Incredible. What a man. My hero. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I just love how old he looks. Like, you know, I play Vets football and he just looks like... He just should be playing the vet in the vets. Um, just, I mean, he, he could be their dad. His he? kids came on at the end of the pit. So he looks about 45. <laughs> <laughs> AJ says, after the celebrations die down, surely Pep will lie awake at night thinking about how a relegated Southampton were the ones who stopped them from a quadruple. Yeah, Nathan Jones, <laughs> he did it. Um, uh, I don't know if any of you enjoyed Jonathan Wilson's breakdown on Twitter in the lead up to the game. Complaints included getting to the ground. Uh, Salt Bay... And Burner Boy's performance, John says, has Barry ever heard of Burner Boy or Anita or Alesso or that guy who played the Champions League theme on the piano? I forgot his name. Max, please ask him. Uh, I'd never heard of Burner Boy. I'd heard of Anita. I wasn't aware of Salt Bay was at the game. It's not like him to maintain such a low profile. And I did wonder if perhaps uh, UEFA were, were trolling City fans a little by having the Champions League anthem played before the game on the piano, which it seems kind of rude to boo a, a, an anthem if it's being played so? on the piano. <laughs> and then they played it again at the trophy lift, and I did notice that City fans didn't didn't boo it then either. Uh, it's almost <laughs> right? as if they were afraid, prepared to look past... Uh, the the animus they have for you if at that particular moment. Yeah, I like the uh, you know the first the first of Barry's moral code is do not boo the pianist. <laughs> we we had a lot of questions about the coverage, um, which I obviously didn't see because I was working for Stan. Uh, Dan says, will anyone ever be as nervous as Jolian Lescott was? Um, I've never seen a man speak so quietly in all my life. Was um was Lescott particularly nervous? Will? Yeah, I mean they stuck him on the end to make him especially nervous and kept making him walk to different locations to broadcast from and he ended up on co-coms randomly after the kickoff having been a pundit for the build-up yeah he, he i think he was grabbing darren fletcher's leg throughout the game out of <laughs> fear every time there was a pass across the back four um i don't know maybe he was on a champions league bonus who knows mario balotelli turned up that was great he'd, he'd not watch a football match for the past five years it was incredible um yeah there was one point where he was he was asked for an opinion, gave a pretty lame one. Jake Cumber goes, "Yeah, we've paid a lot of money for you to be here to give these opinions. <laughs> like, yeah, what are you expecting?" Uh, Jamie says, "Did Barry enjoy the peak BT moment? Rio Ferdinand's post-match artistic deconstruction with Lescott was particularly joyous. Pep has his teams painting pictures like we've never seen." Says Rio. Picasso says Jolian. Michelangelo, whoever you want to do it, says Rio. Just call him up and get Michelangelo <laughs> to do it. And uh, Kurtz's thoughts on Des Kelly getting his pitch access armband signed by Gundogan whilst interviewing him. Um, uh, would you do that on the pitch, Baz? No, um, I, d I don't ask famous people for autographs or I think selfies. I, I, I'd probably, there's probably a no couple of notable exceptions. 
I would uh, have if if the opportunity arise. But bear in mind, I once met Michael Hutchins, Kylie Minogue, had a pint with them and didn't know it was them. So. <laughs> what? But, uh, uh, yeah, I think it, it was all indicative of... And I, I don't know if other networks would have done it differently. I suspect they might have, but the, just the general fawning sycophancy and obsequiousness and relentlessly uncritical cheerleading we've come to expect from BT Sport, who I I just find their coverage of the Champions League largely nauseating. You know, uh, the, Darren Fletcher described this as the greatest story in club history, you know, having an ending. Really? And I don't know if they get diktats from on high to lay it on so gloopy and syrupy and thick or if this is if they just genuinely think this is the way to go about it but yeah it's it's, it's not great but it may all change now because obviously what is it, TNT are taking over no, no one seems quite sure how things are going to go from now on or in terms of subscription fees pre- you know who will be presenting what will it be the same people different people I, I don't know nobody seems to know yeah, look, I, look, we'll talk about this in part two because we'll talk about, you know, this as a whole. We'll talk about the elephant in the room and the asterisk and all that stuff. And I think actually how you broadcast it is quite an interesting part of that conversation. We'll do it in a second. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. We had so much correspondence mainly on this. Uh, Grant says, do you think they'll stitch an asterisk? He said Asterix, but I mean, that would be weird. Next to the star on their shirt next season. Um, you know, if you're doing Asterix, you've got to have Ob- Obelix. You might as well have Get a Fix on it as well. And suddenly it's a different shirt, isn't it? Uh, Alan, how much have the uh, 115 charges had an effect on City winning this and their other titles, if proven, of course? Uh, Maria, does City's pending charges and state ownership play into how they rank amongst other trebles? Uh, um, Barry, prepare the elephant sound effect. Um I, I think I don't know what you think, Nick. I think it's interesting that you know I I listened to the most of the Five Live Daily before I came in, so I don't know if they referenced it towards the end, but they they didn't during the end of the game, and like we mentioned it on stand, not in great detail, but I think you know you can um, you can be jo- joyous for Grealish's tears and for those fans that have been there and you know were at Port Vale away and have a kind of moral responsibility to talk about where the money comes from. And I do wonder if if bosses say, look, what we want is happy football, excitement. This is what people want on the night, and maybe this isn't the time to talk about it. Yeah, it's, it's a really um, complicated thing because... Um what is your what is your duty as the broadcaster and you know what our duty is the podcast duty is the right word but like maybe different to what your yours is as a, a broadcaster who's who's got the, the rights to share the game live who are you doing it for are you doing it for the audience and how much the audience is fans of the home club in the case of bt sport all of that stuff i understand is like is complicated but i'm i'm with you guys in finding it icky right like it, it it's my feeling sort of at the end of the game is yes, like at the end of the game, I, I want to live with the players who are going through those emotions. I want to live with the managers who are going through those emotions. I want to, because in the end it's, it's nobody, it's nothing to do with any of them, right? Like it's nothing to do with um, Jack Grealish, what's sort of 
gone on with these 115 charges against the against the club like that's that's not to do with them but i as a as a viewer i find it sort of uncomfortable not to have had that conversation in a more serious way at some point in the broadcast and then i think to myself but am i your average viewer no because i'm a i'm a journalist I, I cover sport um so i i i don't know what the right answer is but to me not having that conversation felt uncomfortable mm-hmm. Will, you, you can't talk for all Manchester City fans, I'm afraid, but does it does any of that impact your emotions? I suspect if we'd won it via the means of Darius Vassell playing up front, then I would have been a lot more excited, I'll be honest. <laughs> but there's no getting away from the fact that the reason Darius Vassell or his 2023 equivalent isn't up front for us is because of the investment that we've had and where that investment comes from and who owns the club and the optics of the owner attending his second game in 15 years. So yeah, it probably tempers it a little bit. You know, I would have made more effort to go to Istanbul if if it was a 1-11 to of, you know, David James and Danny Mills et al. So yeah, it's, as I've discussed before, it does complicate my relationship with the club as someone that lived on Platt Lane when we were very mediocre in the late 80s, which if you know Man City, Platt Lane, there was a Platt Lane stand at Main Road to indicate how close it was. And the training ground was on Platt Lane. Hence my indoctrination. So yeah, it does temper it a bit because again, as Nicky says, I'm not your average, you know, we're not your average fans. So, you know, it, it's taken a lot of thought in my time, ta- you know, my time of what my relationship is with the club nowadays. But yeah, I enjoyed it last night. Because you know, the owners don't own my fan, my my fandom of Manchester City, and never will. That relationship was born far before they came in, and far before my friends' relationship with the club came in, and etc. So I enjoyed it on that moment. I can enjoy the fact that local lad Phil Foden came on and made a difference. I can enjoy the fact that my goalkeeping hero Scott Carson was involved. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, you can't not enjoy winning the Champions League, but it's always going to be tempered a little bit for me, and that's something I've come to accept. And you know, I, you know, not as uh, not as committed, I guess, as a fan. But I think work probably plays a bit of plays a bit with that. But yeah, maybe. yeah, as I, as I said before, when you've when you've been to those atrocious away games poor old Port Vale <laughs> you can't bring him up again Grimsby away what? Grimsby <laughs> away that that was awful that was I know Grimsby too fair Grimsby was, was under Keegan on the way up um, yeah I did some bad away days though um, there's an interesting there's, there's an interesting question Barry about sort of Pep's legacy and what impact that has Barney wrote a brilliant piece before the, the game about all of this and, and, and Jamie got in touch to say look City's domestic and European dominance this season has just made me realise what a complete mess PSG have made of things with unlimited oil money I mean you can have the money and the tools and not manage to achieve this Oh, absolutely. And Manchester City is a brilliantly run club. Pep is a brilliant manager. They brought in the recruitment team from uh, Barcelona before they got him on board. They put everything in place to make Manchester City the optimum working environment from Pep. And then they offered him a shitload of money to come and work for them. Um, So they're brilliantly run. And they're to be commended on that. But they would not have achieved the success they have without all this money being hosed in by this nation state. And while I would 
never ever begrudge Scott Carson his his medal or Jack Grealish or most of the players because they seem a really likable bunch. Uh, the fact of the matter is whether Manchester City fans like it or not, and and a lot of them seem to crave approval from fans of neutral teams or people who aren't invested in City, and that's really not how football works. You know, it, it just isn't. And uh, someone last night posted on Twitter, uh, I think it was in response to your Any Questions tweet, uh, a panel from an old Squires cartoon in which it's Peps shaking his fist at the clouds, Abraham Simpson style, roaring, what is it about City's relentlessly dominant sports watching project that people don't <laughs> warm to? Do they hate winners? Is that it? <laughs> and and in the corner of the panel, you've Eddie Howe going, preach, brother. <laughs> And that kind of sums it up, really. There are questions to be answered. Man City fans get very annoyed when we talk about it. Other people give out to us for not talking about it enough. We can't really win. We're damned if we do. We're damned if we don't. But I I only saw BT Sports coverage. I can't comment on anyone else's. And I think I saw pretty much every minute of it. It wasn't mentioned once. Not once. And if they can afford to fly our old mate AC Jimbo and James Horncastle out to Milan to to drink coffee and talk about Inter, and if they can get have a section where Jolien de Scott and Rio Ferdinand do a tactical breakdown in front of a big screen in their five or six hour marathon program, surely they can just have a little section where where Kieran Maguire or Nick Harris or somebody does a little, look, this is what's going on, this is the state of play in terms of the, the charges, and it's something we need to bear in mind. They didn't do that. And I I, I think that's poor on their part. Um, but like you said yourself, on on the coverage, you, you chaired it or fronted or whatever, I can't, my vocabulary is gone, that you sort of mentioned it, but only in passing really and and i guess that's what a lot of people did at best i i i hasten to add i don't think they should lead on it mention it every five minutes and do a deep deep dive on it on the night of the final but city fans will say and it's what a classic politician's excuse you know now is not the time well well if that's not the time when is the time you know at least do a little bit on it it sort of needs to be stressed that like we're not just talking about someone spending a lot of money because I mean all of football is that now right like there's there's no purity in in modern football there's no club that sort of sat there um or at least not those that are successful not those at the top of of, of big European leagues that's that's living some sort of like the good life <laughs> not like the parsimonious growing their growing their players in an allotment in the garden yeah. <laughs> right exactly you know that there aren't champions league finals won by Darius Vassells unfortunately um I don't think in in the 2020s um but it is the 115 charges from the Premier League that's the thing that probably should be discussed when 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 we're talking about these things and it is also complicated to discuss because that's an open charge it's not a proven charge it's something that Manchester City are going to fight aggressively in in the courts when um, when all that unfolds. But I just think that's the context we're talking about. And it sort of needs to be reminded that that's it. It's not just, oh, City are rich. It's that there's an open charge against them. Just picking up what Baz said, that, you know, have people like Kieran Maguire discussing it 
you know, would have been a very social policy. And I think that's would have been the way to approach having a, you know, pre-made package or whatever, looking, looking at city's issues. Cause I definitely didn't want to hear Mario Balotelli's views. On <laughs> just on, just on Pep and, um, and you know, this is his what first Champions League since 2011, but it's his second domestic treble. Um, it isn't just winning things with Pep, is it? It's, changing football as well you have those managers like Ancelotti and Ferguson who win a lot but don't probably change the game then you have managers like uh, I guess Bielsa has sort of changed football in a way but doesn't have like a stacked trophy cabinet I'm just trying to think did would you say that I know did Arrigo Saki in a different way changed football Nicky was that too Va- Valerie Lobanovsky I'm, I'm going to say Lobanovsky seeing as Wilson isn't he? <laughs> so Saki 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 won things and changed football and that is Pep the fact that people play out from the back at park level now and all the way up it isn't it, it doesn't make a difference what he won or didn't win yesterday really on on what his on the, on his greatness you've got me worried now because I, I love Arigas like I've actually had the opportunity to interview him as well and he's a, he's a wonderful character but his persona in 2023 is slightly writes a column every single week criticising any team that doesn't still play football the way that he wanted it to be done which makes <laughs> good, me now worry that good. one day we'll get Pep columns every week just well they're not playing how I used to play so no I, look Pep Guardiola is is an what am I supposed to say he's he's one of the best managers ever of course he is of course he is and and I again like it's not his fault that there's other stuff being discussed around it. He's gone to a club where he's been offered incredible resources. Of course, as one of the top people in your field, you're going to want to accept the opportunity and and do what you can with it. And and he has, as the PSG project illustrates, made the most of it. Like he has made a team that is extraordinary and um, he deserves every credit for that. Man City have denied the charges that relate to financial wrongdoing. Uh, The club has said previously it welcomes the review and the opportunity to impartially consider the comprehensive body of irrefutable evidence that exists in support of its position. Uh, City reportedly launched a legal fight against the charges disputing the legality of the investigation and the involvement of the barrister in charge of the disciplinary process. Maximo says uh, three Italian teams in the final, none won. Positives for the league, of course. Um, There's an argument, Nicky, that all Italian teams played better and lost. Yeah, there is an argument. You know, I did have some people in my mentions last night saying, oh, you know, isn't like, you know, is this like the worst year for Serie A? Like, I'm old enough to remember because it was the mid 2010s when there were two (laughs) Italian teams in the Champions League group stage for several seasons. I think it was four seasons because they they lost the Champions League spots. They had three and teams kept failing to win their, their playoff qualifier. So, yeah, I, I think it's it's an extremely strong year for Italian football, even though none of them won. And yeah, this is when you get to the, the point of, I actually think it's not that helpful to talk about a league's football because they're three different stories that were all sort of independent unto themselves. You know, Roma were a Mourinho team who played Mourinho football right to the end and they did get to penalties. Um, Fiorentina, I thought, played a pretty good game against West Ham and and definitely had chances to win that game. And, and Inter... You know, Inter, I, I really feel like validated everything that that they wanted to tell people before this game about we're not just here to sort of be part of City's procession. We've played a really sort of strong Champions League as well and we are on this path of growth and we think we can win it. I, they could have won it. They just didn't. Finally, what what next for for City, Will? I assume some sort of general implosion. I don't know. <laughs> where, where do you go from here? Is it, yeah. Yeah, Cityitis will return, you know, Pep will quit, um, you know, the stadium will get listed as a safety risk or something and uh, we'll be back at Port Vale away. Do you, do you genuinely, though, do, is there any part of you that um, 
sort of looks forward to Pep going just to see what happens. I mean, Ooh. I do, but I, I'm 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 a vested interest. <laughs> I'd be interested to see what happens. You can say I'd, no. Oh, no, I'd be absolutely. <laughs> I'm absolutely fascinated what will happen when Pep goes. And there is a part of me that thinks once you've won everything, you know, how do you reinvent him? You know, how do you reinvent yourself again? Do you want to keep going? You know, oh, I've done the John Stones hybrid thing. You know, what's next? I can do the Jack Grealish in net left back thing. See how that works out. You know, it's really pushed the boundaries of football. So no, it would be fascinating when. Pep goes and who who can come in and replicate him, be that man that evolves the team, but also football in general. It's quite a, it's a hard act to follow. And will City be as desirable with a a different manager? You know, would Haaland come to City if it wasn't for Pep? I'd argue not. I suspect he would have gone to Real Madrid. Um, so yeah, next for City. I guess just, you know, battling Premier League charges, you know, pre-season tours in Japan and Korea and desperately trying to sign someone to, you know, get the fans going again next season and provide a bit of a refresh because I think you do need to refresh when you've after you've won all these things to push yourselves on because motivating yourself after you've won everything. I reckon it must be really hard as someone that's won nothing ever in his life. We have won the Football Supporters Association podcast of the year quite a few times. And we keep on, we raise it every single year we raise it. <laughs> Am I the new voice to keep freshen it up? I think you've won it twice, Max. Well, have I won it twice, Baz? Or, I mean, I was there. I was there, you know, for all the other ones. Not often, but, you know, <laughs> still part of it. Anyway, uh, that'll be... You're, you're in the Scott Carson role. <laughs> <laughs> I've, got the, I've got the same colour hair. Anyway, that'll do for part two. Uh, we'll just round up some other transfer business in part three. Hey Dad, krieg ich dein Auto? Na klar. Nice. Krieg ich auch was von deinen McNuggets? Denk dich mal dran. Hol auch du dir nur für dich die Chicken McNuggets. Oder für kurze Zeit die feurigen Spicy Chicken McNuggets. My Nuggets, my rules. Solange der Vorrat reicht und nur in teilnehmenden Restaurants bei McDonalds. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. The Leeds chairman, Andrea Radrizzani, has agreed to... A £170 million deal to sell his stake uh, in uh, Leeds United to the co-owners 49ers Enterprises. Uh, the investment arm of the San Francisco 49ers uh, bought a 15% stake in 2018, increased that to 44% in 2021. So uh, there is some Leeds news for you, but quite big news for them that uh, uh, Rad Rizzani is going um i don't think they've worked out who their manager is going to be uh lee bowyer's put himself forward but um uh, bielsa obviously unavailable with uruguay uh, meanwhile barry the big summer of transfers and speculation begins uh, alexis McAllister to liverpool 35 million it could rise to 55 it still feels like quite a good deal for liverpool there it does yeah um he's not who they wanted obviously they they wanted bellingham but i think he's uh, a more than adequate second choice I suppose the concern is when you're coming from Brighton where they have such a particular way of playing will it translate you know how will he fit into a new team I wouldn't have any doubts of that he'll be fine at Liverpool uh, and it, you're right it does seem cheap but then I, I, I heard on the radio today that Manchester United are after Jordan Pickford and I can't remember the 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 fee that was mentioned, but I also mean, oh, that that seems like a bargain. But I suppose it all depends on 
how long is left on your contract and all that. Oh yeah, I can't wait for all the the speculation and and at times I'll be forced to to write about it and nothing gives me more pleasure uh, in in my work. Pickford to Manchester United, interesting, Nicky. Seems interesting to me that you know that De Gea might stick about but be a number two if he would be the number two to Pickford. I guess Pickford wouldn't go unless they said the jersey is yours at least to begin with. Yeah, it's hard to imagine De Gea as number two, isn't it? Um, I don't know. I, I I'm a bit I'm a bit overwhelmed by the thought of transfer business already. <laughs> but the end of it, it's been quite yeah. a long season yeah. with the World Cup stuck in the middle of it. The thought of going straight to transfer no, business right. is a bit. Yeah. I mean, we don't have to do much. We've done really the Champions League final. I'm just sort of filling it up with some news. Yuri Tielemans has gone to Aston Villa. Like the Italian season isn't even finished yet. There's still the playouts tomorrow with. Oh, oh yeah. You want me to give you a, a British listener angle? Wales is yeah. Ethan Ampadu playing for Spezia. Is that right? And who are they? Who are they got again? They're playing Verona. So That's Sunday, it. Oh, I say tomorrow, tonight. It's Sunday. Tonight. Yeah. Oh, wow, competing with Soccer Aid. How will the viewers go? It's big, <laughs> isn't it? Um, uh, Tielemans to Villa. Alex, Alex Oxley Chamberlain to Villa as well. Um, William Saliba signed a four-year contract extension. That is good, Nicky, because he is good. But I know, look, I, you don't need to tell, tell me anything like that. Actually, the stats are quite ridiculous. Their win percentage with him is 78% and without him is 46%. They concede 0.9 goals a game when he plays and 1.6 uh, when he doesn't. So uh, that would be a good idea. I mean, that is a good idea, getting him. Um, Declan Rice, Moses Caicedo. I mean, it feels like Arsenal have got good intentions, Nicky. Yeah, I mean, I... It's enthusing as a supporter to sort of see them uh, try to to build on what was achieved this season. Like Declan Rice is a fantastic player and and, and one who uh, it's it's hard not to feel excited about him joining the club because I, I just think he he's really stood out at West Ham this season. I think the way he can sort of provide that platform front of defence, the way he transitions um, defence to attack, and and the way he finds the way he finds space actually, I think is 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 really um, interesting to watch as well. So yeah. Th- of course, that's what you sort of want to see as a as a as a fan is is a club that's had a really strong season but didn't quite achieve any of its goals. Trying to well, so it did achieve a goal, did get in the Champions League, which at the start of the season would would have definitely been a target, but didn't quite get to the finish line. Trying to add some some real quality depth and and take it on a step. I like the way Max you've promoted Moyes Casado to Moses. I mean, he, <laughs> oh yes, yeah, sorry. He's, he's good, yeah, but he well. never parted the Red Sea. <laughs> Thank you so much. Footballers on holiday. This is good. Did anyone else see Arnott Danjuma at the top of Mount Fuji? I mean, that's a step in, in you know full snow gear, crampons, ice, you know whatever they are, your poles. That not. I don't think there was an ice axe, but anyway, that beats Vegas and Ibiza, doesn't it? Well done, well done, Arno. I'm uh, I'm uh, delighted for you. Any footballer that's not in Dubai uh, gets my seal of approval. And finally, an email from Kian. Hi, Max Barry and all. Kian here from Ireland. I've been a big fan of the pod since lockdown in 2020. You always strike the perfect balance between serious specials, vegetable and butter chat and Ethan Pinnock. I was hoping Barry could give one of his optimistic marriage shout outs to two friends of mine getting married in a couple of weeks. Porrick and Fionu... Fionuala? What's that, Barry? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to wish Podrick, or possibly Porrick, and Fenula, Fenula, all the very best in what I'm sure will be a reasonably successful marriage. I give them five years before Fenula sees through Podrick and finds someone better and has five. an affair. 
and then it all ends wow. acrimoniously. <laughs> and it being in Ireland, they'll have paid yeah. way over the odds for their house, because and it, yeah. which will be in negative equity. So they'll either be forced to live together, even though they can't stand the sight of each other, or sell up at a loss and end up in a perilous <laughs> amount of debt for the rest of their lives. Uh, so yeah, good luck to them. Wow, that was basically <laughs> Kyle. That was basically Carl Walker's speech, pretty much, yesterday. Um, it says, Porrick's a listener and a Newcastle fan, only found out at the Dublin Live show last year that the original Weatherspoons Max video wasn't actually him. He thought it was a real celebration after Cambridge beat Newcastle in the FA Cup. Keep up the great work. Already looking forward to the next live tour. Yeah, the live tour. Uh, we will be in Dublin again uh, in November to be announced very soon. And also buy our book. It's on pre-order. It's my pinned tweet. Uh, so, yeah, go and buy the book please and i hope you have a long and happy life together i think that's my role in all of this like five years you barely blink and you'd be married five years barry um i anyway, wouldn't that, know max <laughs> trust me uh anyway that'll, try blinking <laughs> that'll uh, that'll do for today thanks nikki thanks thanks will thank you very much tears baz you're welcome football weekly is produced by joel grove our executive producer is max sanderson This is The Guardian.